How many of you guys, I don't know if you've noticed this or not yet, but I really love humor. I like to laugh. I'm, I'm kind of a, just a fan of enjoying life. And uh, the truth is I got that from my mother. Um, she is a practical joker and quite ornery. She's four foot ten and full of life. Um, we were we had a Jeep Wagoneer and we were growing up in in you know in just fun life where life wasn't always fun, but my mom had a way of making it really enjoyable. Well, we had this Jeep Wagoneer, and it, one of its uh, really cool traits was the back window was uh, powered, and I mean that was back in the old days when that was kind of a cool thing. And uh, she had a toggle switch right up next to the driver's uh, compartment where she could reach. And we were out doing this family trip and uh, had a couple of our friends with us. And one of the young ladies that was with us at the time, she was fairly young, and my mom just loved to give her a hard time. And so she looks over and, and she encourages her to command the window in the back of the Jeep to go down. And this young lady turns around and says, open sesame. And the window went down. And my mom's like, wow, you're pretty good. You should tell it to go up. And so she says, close sesame. And the window went up. And my poor, this poor young lady, my mom hassled her with that for months. <laughs> months. Um, I remember the look on her face when she realized what was going on. And I say that because for, for a young child, her belief at that moment she had this idea that she was actually affecting a physical thing in her life. It would be much like if I were to say to, if we had really young children in here, and I were to say, uh, screen, come down, sesame. That would, be, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? And then if I were to say, screen, go up, sesame. That would just be cool. Now, you guys all know that I'm not doing that, right? If you don't, we fixed the screen this week, and we've got a little remote control that lets us play around with that. But what, what we believe and what we see happen in the things in our lives, so often it affects how we respond to life and the things that we're experiencing in life. And I'll be honest, as I was getting ready for the text this week, and I considered that I maybe I'd ruined it because we split it in half, and we'd done all the good stuff last week, and this week was going to be bleh. Um, I got in, and I started praying and reading, and... I think that uh, what the Lord did for me this week and the excitement that I have for the passage, uh, I feel very inadequate to communicate well with you. So would you be praying with me this morning as we consider the text and what God might want to do in our hearts today? Um, it's going to be about belief, uh, and it's going to be about Jesus, because that's what this story really is about. Would you follow along with me this morning in Mark chapter 5? We're going to reread verses 21 through 43 this morning. Or 40, yeah, 43. Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd entered, he said to them, Why are you making making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Father, this morning as we approach your word, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to see what it is that you're doing that, Lord, you alone would speak today and that you would change us in accordance with your word in the character of who you are as we consider what it means to be, to not live in fear, but believe in Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we got the story last week. We talked about Jesus being interrupted. We, we watched Jairus come and plead with Jesus, and, and Jesus begins to go and he heals the woman uh, that that had this discharge and that was physically suffered for many many years under many physicians and and given up all the money. All of those things happened, and Jesus is turning his attention back to Jairus to go. And people from the house come and say, "Don't bother the teacher anymore." Jesus's response to that was, "What? Don't fear. Only believe." Uh, does it seem odd to you that Jairus and his family have that view? That that now that the girl's dead, there's not much that Jesus can do? I don't think that's out of line uh, for us from a human perspective, right? Um, up to this point, what are the reports that they're hearing? Uh, the woman and, and Jairus, they're hearing Jesus heal people and cast out demons and all kinds of physical diseases are being cured by being in his presence, by Jesus putting his hands on the individuals and and and... and healing them. So in my opinion, in my mind, it's reasonable that Jarius and his family would say it's too late. When she was alive, there was a chance because you clearly have the power. You clearly have some connection with God and you're able to do these things. But now that she's dead, boy, we, really, we really don't have a chance. And Jesus, I, I love this as, as he's addressing these people in his, 
they are uh, giving the, the terrible news to Jairus. So Jesus overhears the conversation, and he turns to encourage Jairus. He says, don't fear, only believe. Uh, what kind of belief would they have at that point in time? Um, what, what are they basing their belief on? It's what we've talked about, the things that they're hearing Jesus do, the things that they're hearing, uh, the testimony of all of these miracles that are happening and these wonderful things. But we're talking about death now. I mean, we're talking about her, his daughter being dead. And Jesus says, only believe. This idea of believing, is a, it's a pretty important aspect as we consider the text and we consider uh, the implication or the application, if you will, to our life. Jesus talks about believing often in his relationship with the disciples and as they're, they're walking through. One, one of the times that this happens is um, at the death of, death of Lazarus in John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. We're just going to read this part of the story uh, through verse 27 here. So follow along with me if you would. John 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you see Martha's belief? She has a very similar scenario, a very similar belief that the people of Jairus and the people of that time would have had. That once Now that he's dead, there's really nothing Jesus could do. Had you only been here when there was still life in him, you could have done something. But Martha has a deeper faith than even that, though, doesn't she? Because she looks at Jesus, she goes, I know that whatever you ask God, he will do. What an amazing testimony of Martha's belief in Jesus, her faith in Jesus. I love that she's a bit of a theologian, too. Jesus says, you know, Martha, he's going to rise. And she goes, I know about the resurrection of the dead when, you come, when the Lord comes back. I'm aware of that. She's like, I'm talking about now. And Jesus, I believe, in, this, in that moment was beginning to teach the disciples, was pointing out to them uh, part of the same lesson that we're actually beginning to see here with Jairus' daughter, and that is that Jesus was talking about now as well. His perspective is different than ours. Another story about belief is in John chapter 20, 24 through 29. This is one of more encouraging uh, stories for me. It's about Thomas and after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he's showing himself to his disciples. And we catch up with Thomas here in uh, John chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What's the challenge for us in believing Jesus? What's, what's the, what are the real challenges as we think about how uh, the struggles that Jairus would have at that moment, not being in fear, but just believing, only believe? What would be some of the, the distractions to that possibility for him? Open, this is a question. Give me some feedback. What are some of the distractions? Physiological, absolutely. Everything up to that moment in their experience has been once dead, dead. Right? I mean, we're, we're pretty comfortable with that analysis, typically. Aren't we? I'd say death is a pretty significant distraction for us. It can be. We can spend most of our life trying to avoid it. And yet very few of us ever accomplish that. What are some other distractions? Our senses. Absolutely. The things we, we see or feel or hear. Absolutely. What else? Societal pressures. Absolutely. Holy cow, what an easy distraction that is, right? Absolutely. Other thoughts? What do you think? Faith in somebody else's testimony. All right. Putting our eyes, putting our faith in the wrong thing, as opposed to in the source of it, we start to trust or follow somebody else. Is that is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, and that amazing too, and the the blessing that God that Jesus offered to everyone that believes without having seen. Pretty incredible moment. Well, those are, the, the, those are all things that are distractions. There's, I, I think there's probably a pile more um, that would get in our way that would cause us to take our view from God and to, to lower it down and to, to cause us to be easily distracted. And this is a simple illustration. I don't know how many of you guys have your Bible, but whenever you need to work on uh, just a, a practical illustration of how is it that we are so quickly deceived and distracted, and, and what does it mean to have our focus on Jesus? If you just take your Bible and you hold it out at, at like arm's length, you could probably do this with the smartphones now. They're getting so big. Um, this would probably work. Um, but if you just held your Bible out like this, and you were to look around, and you were to describe to me what you could see, what, what could you see? Why don't we do that? Because you know I'm a youth pastor, so I like physical illustrations. If you're willing, take your Bible, hold it out in front of you, and just kind of glance around the room. What do you see? I see people, I see colors, I see things, I see lots of stuff, right? I mean, if I knew all of your guys' problems, I'd be really distracted. But if we take something like this, let's say, hey, this is the Word of God, and we place it right in front of our face, what do you see? You only have, you're only seeing 
what you place right in front of you. I, I think that part of what Jesus is trying to do in the, in the context of the regular stories, it's over and over, he's trying to help the disciples see him for who he is and to start getting their eyes off of the physical world, off of the things that are in existence that they know to be true from their perspective, from their human perspective, and to see them from his perspective. And we see that he's intentional with this uh, because Jesus actually restricts the crowds and the, and the disciples following at that time. In the story, he specifically targets now three of his disciples, Angerius and his family, and he, he puts everybody else off. And he just takes them with him. We, we, this is the, one of the first times that we see, I think, in this text where he's actually given a focused teaching for a, a, a core part of his discipleship crew. Three of the guys that are going to be very impactful in this process. Uh, that's one of the reasons as I was going through the text this week that we're, we're in John so much is that John seems to have written a very, uh, just a, a good account of being in touch with this truth of who Jesus was and, and seeing this aspect of who he is. There are times in our lives where, where the lessons become very specific. They're not real general. Have you guys ever experienced that? Ever at a point in your life where you feel like you're the one that's in the crosshairs of the experience of learning, the opportunity for growth, if you will? I, I had a brother here in the church come up and sympathize with me on Saturday. It was it did my heart so well. He was lamenting uh, individuals who were driving well below the speed limit out here on Apple Way. And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm struggling with this as well. And he's a little older than me by a few years. And he was having, so it's not just that I'm young. There's really problems out there. But there are opportunities for growth that are specific, that target you and me directly for the purpose, not, not just because, he, I don't believe it's just because he's trying to, he's trying to rid us of all these things. Although that is true, I think ultimately the purpose is always to reveal to us who God is to open our eyes to who Jesus as the Son of God is and God's intent and His involvement in yours and my heart. Many, many times, in the third, one of the third points that I, that I, as we're going through this text, you can't help but, but miss or, or notice is that Jesus really baffles the individuals. He baffles the mourners in this process, right? He shows up at Jairus' house. He's got Jairus. He's got the crew. They're coming back and they see all this commotion. And Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? The girl's just asleep. I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? Can you imagine that moment? These are people that have done this before. They know what a dead body is. Some of his family, some of Jairus' family has watched her decline. Watched her body just fade away. They knew that she was on the brink of death. Why? Because they were watching her die. Part of me, when, the, when I first read that, there's times where I go, man, Jesus, your bedside manner at times, a little rough. That, that would just not go over well. But the reality in this process, the reality of, I believe what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that Jesus has a different perspective on life and death. He doesn't see death the way we see death. He doesn't see life 
the way that we see life as humans, as mortals. Uh, Look at John chapter 14. I love this interaction with his disciples. He's encouraging them. It's interesting. I don't think they felt very encouraged. Uh, But we know later, we know because we've got the end of the story, it really was. John chapter 14, verse 1 through verse 7 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my, ha- in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, uh, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you see how Jesus talks about him going and coming? He was talking about his death. From a human perspective, he was talking about his death. He's like, hey, I'm going to... It was almost like, like, I'm going to go and prepare a meal. I'll be back as soon as it's perfectly ready for you guys, and you guys can come and join me and we'll eat together. Did you see how casually, how comfortably Jesus spoke with his disciples about this? And what was their response? What? (laughs) What are you talking about? It doesn't work that way, Jesus. I I love the the reality of, of how they see and they understand what he's saying, and they're struggling to get their minds around this truth. But Jesus's perspective of death and life is different than ours. He has a grasp of that. And my guess is it probably comes because he, was, he sat with God at the creation of earth and he spoke everything into being. He was part of that process. And so his knowledge of God, his knowledge of the power of God is supernatural. It's not limited to human ability or perception. Doesn't old age mess with us in this process? Right, Because if, if we just got older and we didn't hurt more, if we got older and it didn't take longer to heal, if we got older and our muscles didn't wear out faster and take three times the length of time to recover from the little dumb thing that we did this weekend, if we didn't have those experiences, I think sometimes it would be easier for us to go, okay, God, life's bigger than just this moment, but everything that we do here on this earth from a physical standpoint impacts us. And we are easily distracted by this. In fact, I would say at times that the way that Jesus speaks of life and death is baffling to me. Because I struggle to comprehend from a human perspective how to live out this life of of being alive in Christ in the midst of the physical issues of this life with this hope and without fear and just believing. Am I the only one? Do you guys struggle with that at times? Lord, how do we live this way? How do we live without fear and only believe? And we all know the end of the book, right? The disciples' lives just got better and better. Right? I mean, they were, they were the authors of health and wealth. 
It did not work that way. In this moment, we see Jesus clearing the room. He, the, the mourners and, and the whole process, right? He, he, he actually says to them at that point, as they're engaging, he asks them what's going on. Why are they making such a commotion? And when he responds, the child is not dead, but, but just sleeping. In verse 40, it says, they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother, those who were with him, and went in to, the chi- to, uh, to where the child was. Again, we see this very specific focused time of teaching. And then he follows up with, don't tell anybody. I'm I'm still baffled by that. I'm I'm positive it's because he has such an eternal perspective. But the point, I believe, as we talk about this idea of belief in Jesus this picture that we're beginning to see that's unfolding, where the human condition, it it results in death, our physical death, our spiritual death. And when Jesus engages in in this life, in our life, when he engages the human condition with who he is and who God designed the, the, the process of redemption to be and come through Jesus, that it brings life, that it brings a changed perspective in life. We, we're going to continue in John 14 and, and follow this, uh, the, the story of Jesus and his disciples as he's trying to encourage them and he tells them that they know where he's going and that they should know the Father. Philip in verse 8, in, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip responds to Jesus this, at this moment and he says this, um, Lord, show us the Father. That is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. When we think of this idea of believing, Jarius and his family and the disciples are coming to a moment as they're entering into this room with this dead daughter, and Jesus has said that she's just asleep, and he tells Jairus, don't fear, just believe. And you can imagine the disciples and the challenges that they're facing, because we see it described in their interaction with Jesus. He's telling them things that they don't understand. Philip says, "Uh, Lord, show us the Father. How is is us looking at you showing us the Father? And Jesus begins to teach them a a broader perspective of who he is and what his life is meant to be on this earth and that they are one in person. We looked at that last week, even the oneness of God and that we're invited into this. But one of the the pieces that really grabbed me is we think about how we engage in life and how we live believing in who Christ is, the stuff that, that the purpose behind so much of this, I believe, shows up in verse 13. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When we look at how Jesus is engaging with the people, when when we talk about believing in Him, 
when we talk about changing our perspective to see Jesus for who he is, he regularly testifies that what he is here on this earth to do is to bring glory to God the Father. That that's the, that's the, the purpose of his life is to do the will of the Father. And in that context, knowing the Father, believing in Jesus, Jesus says, whatever you ask, I will do, that the, that the Father may be glorified. So, what do you believe about Jesus? What are we believing today? Thomas really struggled to believe without touching him. And Jesus said, blessed are those who believe who have not seen. And yet, we see Jesus at work. We see God at work. The power that works in and through Christ in the believers. Ultimately, we end the, the story with Jesus. Uh, Jesus has power over death. The girl is raised completely healthy. I, I love that in the text he says that she was raised, got up and walked, and, and he finishes off, hey, make sure you feed her some food. Uh, don't get distracted by all of the miracle, miraculous stuff that's going around. You probably should feed the poor girl. She's been sick for a while. Yeah, I just love the humanness of that, of that moment that he's reminding her parents to feed her. Because of how just spectacular what has happened has happened, he, I just love that. What a, what a human, physical thing for him to address. But do you see the picture? Jesus interacts with, with Jairus and his daughter who is dying. In the midst of that interaction, he's distracted by the physical needs of one of the, one of the women in Israel who is, who is suffering greatly. During that time, Jairus' daughter dies, and Jesus turns and says, Do not, don't fear, only believe. And they continue on this process. And the result of that belief, the result of Christ's involvement in their life, is that this young girl is taken from death to life. Physically, we get to see that picture. I don't, I don't know if it, if it grabs you as it has grabbed me, but this picture of of Jesus taking people from death to life is what really grabbed a hold of my heart this week as I was wrestling with this text. Yes, we need to believe in Jesus. That's the reality. It appears that this is the picture of the gospel that's happening right here physically, and Jesus is beginning to give his disciples a picture that his power through God the Father, the Holy the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, is capable of raising dead back to life of conquering death. We see Paul describe this for us as a church in Romans chapter 6. He says this in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Or do we, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Now, if we've been united with him in a, in a death like his, we shall sh uh, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he, lived, he died, he died to sin once for all. But that he lit, the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to, uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We see in this picture, as Paul's painting this idea of Romans, very it's the it's the image, it's the picture that I believe Jesus is presenting to his disciples that they're having such a hard time to see. That in Christ, there is life, even through death. So, I guess one of the questions that we should wrestle with in this process is, um, do we have a, the same perspective about life as Jesus? Would it, would it be good for us to evaluate what our perspective of life and death is? in light of this text, in light of what we see about uh, that John says about who Jesus is. As Paul talks about this idea of us dying to our sin and being raised again to new life in Christ, that his power, that the power of God that, uh, that brought Christ back from the grave, we're going to look at that in just a second, Romans 8, 11. But that same power, uh, it, it's, what, it, it's what actually uh, conquered death. That's why Jesus could die for sin and, and, and eliminate it, and that you and I have the freedom to live free from that. That's a spiritual truth, but how does it affect how we live today? Do we, do we run around thinking that this is all we got? I mean, I, I love the testimonies that we have this morning, right? We have got a number of people in our church today that are fighting cancer. Other other sicknesses, ailments, diseases. It's happening all over. Right? Some of you, some of us, some of as a body, maybe it's not a physical issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's an emotional issue. Maybe it's a spiritual crisis. Are we living in fear? Or does who we see, is how we see Jesus, does that affect how we're living out our life? How we live each day. What I love about Romans 8, 11, is it's a reminder to you and to me to help us change our perspectives. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
Don't fear. Only believe. Man, it sounds simple, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound amazing? How can he say that? I believe it's because Jesus knew his father. And he looked at his disciples. Did you catch what he said to his disciples? How can you have been with me for so long and not know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because we are one. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus this morning, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. For what purpose? It's that we would understand how to live alive for him. It's that we would, in the moments that we face death and we face challenge and we face difficulties and we we face a culture that's running rampantly away from God, we can say with hope and with faith that I believe. I don't have to live in fear of my physical death. I don't have to live in fear of what the culture is doing. I get it. There's reasonable, wise things to do, right? God didn't give us a brain for no reasons. We, we, we don't take risks. I mean, I, I wear full gear when I'm riding my, my CBR rocket ship. Because it just would be dumb not to. So I get it. There are things in this life that we can learn, and there's precautions that we can take. But do we live in fear? If, we're con- if we are living in fear, if we're controlled by fear, then we probably don't know who Jesus is. At least not the way he's described in the Bible. We probably don't have a true understanding of God the Father. And we probably don't quite grasp how temporal this moment that we live on this earth is in comparison to the eternity that we're invited into a relationship with through Jesus. From death to life. This is not all we get. This is not it. Don't you wish it was just as easy as screen, come down, says to me? Don't you wish? And yet, how shallow is that? How temporal is that? The God of the universe says, My son is here. Don't fear. Just believe. Actually, he says, only believe. Only believe. Father, the reality is, is that in my life, there are many things that I will find distracting. Times where fear and anger and probably idolatry rage in my own heart, where I want my way, I want my thing, and doesn't honor you. And yet, Lord, in your grace and your love, you're not, you're not a, uh, affected by that in, in a sense of how we would see it, where, where you uh, would leave us or get frustrated and, and uh, change how you treat us. God, you are consistent You are true and faithful. 
Lord Jesus, the reality is, is that if I was Jarius and you were to have said to me at that point, don't fear, only believe, my heart would have been torn. I would have been in conflict. And yet, Lord, now we have the text, we have, we have the testimony of your conquering death in the grave. The eyewitnesses of many people who have testified and gave their lives to say that this really happened. And even in that truth, even with that much information, God, my heart still trembles at times. I still struggle to see you for who you really are. So, Father, I ask that you would open our eyes. You would open our hearts to understand who you are, to see even a glimpse today of the truth of the reality of you as a sovereign God. A creator God who could speak of your own death, Lord Jesus. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll be back. Don't fear. Only believe. God, help us to believe. Change how we live. Change how we see you. For your glory and your glory alone, Lord, we ask all these things.